just because that's what I've been studying from, so sorry about that. Okay. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have been ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and the devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a whole angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests, which was a big deal. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, 
Why you sent for me? Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your arms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa, and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you've been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. I wonder what Peter thought. I haven't got a sermon prepared. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, everyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God, to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who'd come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Lord, we love your word. Make it live to us today, I pray. We pray. We don't want to be informed, but transformed. Speak, Lord. Amen. Uh, Colin, first slide. Uh, When I was a kid... (laughs) That's why I sat here, the only adult, did you notice? (laughs) With all the children, that was me, before I had glasses. Um, When I was a kid, my family used to go out for long walks with, we had a dog, a spaniel. And one of the places we frequented was called Coom Gibbet. I don't know if any of you know Coom Gibbet. There it is, okay. It's on the border between Berkshire and Hampshire and has stunning views 
but it's an eerie place. And the reason for that is because on the top of the hill, and you can see it there, stay on this slide for a moment, there is a double gibbet. This was first erected in 1676, and its replica still stands today. A gibbet is basically a cross, and it's 25 feet high, and it was a double one because they hang two people on it at the same time, both accused of murder. And the gibbet stands there as a kind of standard to say, don't do that again. It was a horrible story. You can look it up. It's one of those kind of horror stories you read from history. This gibbet remains, if you like, as a memorial. Next one. It's bleak. It's ugly. And I don't know whether it was the story of that that used to make it feel an eerie place to me, or whether it is an eerie place, because the cross is there. It's an unholy blotch on a beautiful landscape, a bleak reminder of depravity. These two people were hung because of the law of the land. They had sinned as far as the law was concerned, and the Winchester Assizes said they had to be hung in chains, and they were. Next slide. It's an amazing thing, actually. It's very high. Has anyone been there? Mark, have you been there? Okay, they do a walk up to it. <laughs> and a cycle ride. Okay. But it brings me on to this issue of sin because I can't escape the issue because it's so important. It's important because it costs God so dearly to deal with it. And we're coming to communion later to think back in remembrance of what Jesus did. And I don't think I will ever understand or we will ever understand the cross or salvation if we don't appreciate sin. And it's a word that's got religious, religious connotations, isn't it? So maybe we need to change the word. But it's biblical. So there we go. So my question for you, start, start a question for ten. If I asked you what is sin, what would you think of? I don't want anyone to answer me necessarily. Just think about it. If I said, what do you think sin is, what would you say? Here's an example. One of the staff at Network came to me this week. I will, they will remain nameless for obvious reasons because uh, she said, I've got a confession to make. I have sinned today. I had jam, roly-poly, and custard for pudding. <laughs> Is that a sin? Well, it might have been if God said, don't have it. But we have these ideas, don't we, of what sin is. And I want to say that sin is an issue about you and God. God is our reference point. And if we reject him, then we offend him. He takes it personally, and he takes it seriously. It's not so much what we do wrong, but against whom we do wrong. Do you hear that? Sin is not what we do so much as against whom we do it. Because what sin does is exchange what should be love for God 
and worship for our Creator and our Maker and redirect our religious impulse wrongfully so we worship and love other things in preference to God. It's like saying to the one who created us, I know better. And when Jesus was in Gethsemane, he reversed it by saying, not my will, but thine be done. And basically, this thing that we call sin, this expression we've all got ideas about, is saying, not thy will, but mine be done. That's the essence of it. I read recently a quote that said, idolatry rushes into the vacuum left by exorcising Yahweh. (laughs) It's misdirected worship. And we've all done it. (laughs) Haven't we? (laughs) But there stands this memorial, this cross on a hill, that isn't now an eerie, cursed place, but an invitation, speaking of forgiveness. Hallelujah. We thank God for memorial today. There are these war memorials, aren't there? Memorials. There are memorials. And one of the greatest memorials of all time is the cross. And we've made it nice and gold and trimmed and sweet, but actually it was rugged and hard and ugly because it was a big deal and our problem is solved. So, that's my introduction. I'm going to look at the passage in a minute. But before I do that, I just wanted to say that I find preaching difficult. (laughs) I stand up here and people think, oh, he must be the expert. And I can have that in my own attitude, that, oh, I know better, I've got to teach these folks something. I just want to tell you that's not where I'm coming from. It really isn't. And what I want to do today as I speak is make this a prayer. Because I read scripture and it challenges me. (laughs) I think, if this is what God is like, this is what I want. This is it. I don't want to do religious, religious exercise. I want scripture to challenge us and speak to us and become living and real, not academic And I don't know how we do that. But we've read Acts 10, and something amazing was happening in Acts 10. Because we've got an amazing God who wants to break in today to our lives and the lives around us. And I want it to happen. I don't want to just read about it. I want it to happen. So please, I'm not preaching at you. I'm praying, God, as we look at these scriptures, make it live in our lives. Do what you want to do with us. So to the passage. I guess the big issue, just going back to finish off that little thing on sin, the big issue is that God wants relationship with you and me, with mankind, from whatever nation, whatever culture, whatever background, whatever trouble you've been in, He wants relationship. He's a God of relationship. He created man to be in communion with him. And we're not unless we enter into that radical transformation. And this passage talks a bit about this. 
So in this passage, we have two main characters. Both of them are named, which is really nice, isn't it? God calls us by name. There's Cornelius, a soldier, an Italian, not a Jew, outside the people of God or the nation of Israel. And there's Peter, a true Jew, disciple of Jesus, a witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus, and now in relationship with God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, a person rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ of conviction, courage, and passion who was proclaiming him in all of life. What do we know about Cornelius? Well, there's a few things we can gather from Scripture because he doesn't turn up anywhere else in Scripture. Firstly, he was devout. The Greek word is apparently eulabes. I don't know how you pronounce it. How do you pronounce it? Oh. You don't know? Good grief. I have to look at it. Oh, yeah, you've got to look at it in Greek, haven't you? Oh, forget it. <laughs> okay. It's often translated godly. And it means this, to be careful as to the claims of God. It's more about inner being and attitude than doing. Because there's another word, godly, which is more about doing. So it's an inner attitude. He was devout. It's used a few other times in the New Testament. It's used, for example, of Simeon, who, who met the baby Jesus in the temple and recognized that this was the Son of God. <laughs> he was a devout man. He was sensitized, if you like. It's mentioned of Ananias, who we read about in Acts chapter 9. Um, when Paul's giving his testimony in Acts 20, 22, he calls him a devout man. These are people, devout people, take God seriously. I think that's a good way of putting it. Secondly, he feared God. The uh, expository dictionary that I use sometimes says this, it's not a mere fear of his power and righteous retribution, but a wholesome dread of displeasing him. Yeah. The fear of God, a wholesome dread of displeasing him. Thirdly, he was with all his house. Cornelius took what he believed very seriously. He saw it as really important, not optional. So he included his whole family. This was important. And they knew it. Fourthly, he gave alms to the people. For those listening on the podcast, that's not A-R-M-S. It wasn't prosthetics, and it wasn't guns. It was A-L-M-S. <laughs> he was generous. He gave to the other. He cared about people. And fifthly, he prayed to God always. Quite a chap. I think I will be very humbled when I meet him. What a lovely man. A remarkable man. But he didn't have a relational faith. He was good, righteous, upright, honorable, God-fearing. And God loved him. Notice, though, there is no reference with all this talk about Cornelius to the Holy Spirit. And God had to speak to him through an angel. So now on to Peter, the second character in this story. 
we know a lot more about Peter, don't we? Poor chap, because it's written loud and large all the way through the Gospels. All the things he did right and the things he did wrong. I hope the book about me isn't like that. He was a follower of Jesus, devoted, but he had his ups and downs, didn't he? He had his disappointments, but now he was a transformed man because he saw Jesus resurrected, he was forgiven, he was at Pentecost, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So now he was this man of conviction, courage, and passion. But also, relating back to Ben's word last week, if you weren't here, it's worth listening to on the podcast. Ben from Westbury on Trim. He spoke about being, um, having reflex actions because of our walk with God. We're so in tune with, our, with knowing God relationally that we automatically do what is right, if I can put it like that. He was naturally spiritual. He was walking with God. He had a conversational life with God, just as God always wanted it in the garden. You remember? Walking in the cool of the day. Peter was in communion with God. But there was a problem. For Peter, as a good Jew, to be in the same house or to eat with a Gentile was beyond the pale. (laughs) But, like all of us, he was still learning because the Holy Spirit spoke to him. Isn't it wonderful when you read of people who are open enough to God to be able to put aside their prejudices? Even the good things, their well-held traditions, or even their self-righteousness, because God is at work. So here's what is happening. Cornelius, God loved him. And as if God was looking at him and, think, and reaching out and thinking, I want this man to know me. I really do. I want him to be in friendship with me, relationship. How do I do it? How can I reach this man? I know I'll send an angel to him and tell him what to do. And I need someone else. Peter, he's a good man. He's been broken He's lost his hard-heartedness now. He's open to me. I'll speak to him. He's got a lot to learn. But hey, I can use Peter. I'll get Peter to be part of this plan because I want to bless Cornelius. And in doing that, open a door to the whole world which was beyond Peter's wildest imagination. And so it was that these two people came together through the design and wonder of God. (laughs) And God turned up, broke all the boundaries, without Peter really understanding what was happening. As soon as he preached forgiveness, God turned up, and suddenly these people turned into worshipping people. Something happened. God arrived. It wasn't theory anymore. It was living, and it was true. And Cornelius and his family, suddenly they knew God was real. They received the Spirit. They thought, yes, this is it. We're forgiven. God knows me. I know him. It blew Peter's mind and those who were with him, didn't it? What a God is this? 
So Peter rightly thought, these guys need to be baptized. <laughs> they have received new life. We should baptize them. They're just like we are. <laughs> Hallelujah. No different. No different. Because they too became people rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ of conviction, courage, and passion who could proclaim him in all of life. What a wonder is that. And we read in Acts 11 when Peter was relating this story back to the other apostles. He said, um, they said this, when they heard this, they had no further objections because they couldn't understand what was happening outside the Jewish realm. And they praised God saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Hallelujah. And that's why we're here. <laughs> repentance unto life. I came across a hymn I hadn't read before. It's a Wesley one. There are these two verses and I like them so I'm going to read them out. Come, thou everlasting spirit, bring to every thankful mind all the Saviour's dying merit, all his sufferings for mankind, true recorder of his passion. Now, the living faith impart. Now reveal his great salvation unto every faithful heart. Come, you witness of his dying. Come, remembrancer, divine. Let us feel your power applying Christ to every soul and mine. Yes, in me, in me he dwelleth. I in him and he in me. And my empty soul he filleth here and through eternity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, all of life, proclaiming him in all of life. We've read about two characters, very different characters, very different circumstances. I wonder if you relate to either of them. Because they're both called by name. Interestingly, when the angel says to Cornelius, your prayers and your arms have come up as a memorial before God, that's an interesting word because it only occurs once other in scripture, one other time in Scripture, this word memorial. And it's the time, it actually is repeated once, it's repeated twice, whatever the word is, twice it occurs, but it's only one incident. And it's the woman who came with an alabaster box of perfume and broke it on Jesus' head. And it says, this will be recorded in memorial of what you've done. So my question is, have you received the Holy Spirit since you've believed? Or are you still seeing Christianity as a kind of thing that you hope it'll be all right in the end? Kind of, yeah, I, kind of, I believe it. But do you know you're saved? I mean, honestly, I had some long chats with a Jehovah's Witness who came to our door quite a lot of times, always on my day off quite annoying. Um, but hey, I kept him outside, maybe that was mean. One of them who I spoke to has died since. He never knew he was saved. 
in that he just didn't. And it's true for so many religions, isn't it? But Jesus is saying, you know you can know? Know. You can know him. It's not a theory anymore. You can know him. Do you know it? Because you can see here that God was beside himself so that Cornelius could know it. He just had to find a way because Cornelius was searching for him. He thought, I've got to break everything, all the boundaries. I want to reach this man because he's reaching out to me. And if you're in that state, that's how he is to you. He longs for you to know him. Longs for it. And he wants to fill you with the Spirit. Okay, that's mystical. We don't understand what that means. What it means is, you just know him. <laughs> Becomes your dad. There's no mistake. <laughs> it's not theory anymore. Hmm. Is it time you got baptized? Hmm. In the Spirit and in the water. When you say, okay, I've done with this stuff, this sin thing, this my will, not yours be done. I've done with it. Because you've made a way for me to know God and live differently. Hallelujah. And that goes on. It's not a one-off event. It means breaking your little alabaster box, (laughs) all that's precious to you, and saying, okay, you're worth it. You're worth it. Or are you more like Peter? You've got to walk with him. But do we recognize that God is beside himself to reach out to other people? And he longs for people like Peter who are just awake to God busting all the boundaries (laughs) and speaking to them and pouring his life into them. People in our workplaces and schools. God, this is where it's a prayer. I want to be more sensitive to what God is doing and wanting to do. I do. Do you? So can we ask for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit to us to say, God, that's what I want too. Because you so love people. I want to restore them. I I met Andy Machin today. Uh, last week, Deb's dad. He's in, he's in Downham Baptist Church. He's got two girls who've started coming on a Sunday evening to the church. They just turned up. They were 14-year-olds. As I understand it, they were doing RE and thought, I want to know more about this. Let's go to the local church. So one of the church, there are only a few of them on a Sunday evening, and it's fairly kind of, nearly used the word dry. That's not fair on Andy. Um, <laughs> traditional, traditional. Yeah, that's the word. And... Uh, and so someone said to them, well, why don't you come in the morning? It's a bit more going on, you know, a bit more lively. And they said, no, this is great. We just want to know. We want to know. And they've been coming week after week. Isn't that stunning? Bring them, Lord. People want to know. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I believe if we become a people abandoned to God in our everyday, who knows what will happen? <laughs> if we can be Cornelius's and Peter's, Who knows what God will do? I've got a question, though, which I haven't got the answer to. Dave will have to help me out or Marky afterwards. Why does God have to use us? 
Why didn't God just turn up to Cornelius in some way and ignore Peter and just turn up for him? Somehow, I don't know why, God has invested in his people, the church, the ability and the command to go out to all nations. I don't understand that because we're so flawed. But that's the truth of it, as far as I can see. Is Dave nodding or scowling? Oh, hallelujah. All right. Okay. Good. There we are. He needs you and me. Do you know that? I don't understand. He needs you and me to proclaim this good news. And what good news it is. That's my prayer then. My preachy prayer. God, do it. In us, rubbish people, though we might think we are. God cleans us out sets us on our feet, forgives us again. Hallelujah. And it's ongoing, isn't it? Bless him. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. I was going to sing a hymn, Saved by Grace Alone. Do you know that one? I won't sing it, I think. I'll read a little bit of it. It's just a hymn that's been on my mind a lot because it keeps you thankful. Uh. Grace, tis a charming sound, it starts. T'was grace that wrote my name in life's eternal book. T'was grace that gave me to the Lamb who all my sorrows took. Grace taught my wandering feet to tread the heavenly road, and new supplies each hour I meet while pressing up to God. Grace taught my soul to pray and made my eyes o'erflow. Tis grace has kept me to this day and will not let me go. Oh, let your grace inspire my soul with strength divine. May all my powers to you aspire and all my days be thine. It's sheer grace. Over to you, Marquis.